Section 28 of Whom We Shall Welcome. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Patrick McAfee, Merritt Island. Whom We Shall Welcome. Report of the President's Commission on Immigration and Naturalization. Part 5, Chapter 16a. Citizenship. Chapter 16. Citizenship. American citizenship is one of the most valuable rights in the world today. The manner in which it can be acquired or lost is a matter of deep concern to all Americans. It is important that the establishment of such a basic right shall be clearly defined, and that unreasonable conditions shall not defeat the creation and maintenance of citizenship status. American citizenship may be acquired through birth or naturalization. All persons born in continental United States, Alaska, Hawaii, Puerto Rico, Virgin Islands, and Guam, with a few exceptions, are citizens of the United States at birth. Persons born abroad to American citizen parents derive citizenship through their parents. If only one parent is a citizen of the United States, Citizenship may, subject to certain limitations, be transmitted to the child at birth. The privilege of naturalization is open to all resident aliens who can prove five years lawful residence, good moral character, and attachment to the principles of the Constitution of the United States. By law, special benefits, such as waiver of some of the residence requirements, are provided to certain groups. Among these special groups are spouses and children of citizens and aliens with military and maritime service. The Immigration and Naturalization Service exercises administrative supervision over the naturalization process, but naturalization can be granted only by a naturalization court. Citizenship can be lost in two ways. The first is denaturalization which applies only to naturalized citizens and subjects them to revocation of citizenship by court order. The second is called expatriation and applies to all citizens, native-born and naturalized, making them subject to loss of citizenship for certain acts deemed inconsistent with the duties and obligations of citizenship. There are ten such types of conduct now specified by statute which cause expatriation, including obtaining naturalization in a foreign state, taking a foreign oath of allegiance, renunciation of American citizenship, serving in a foreign army, and voting in a foreign election. In certain respects, the Act of 1952 made significant improvements in the nationality laws. Among these were the complete abolition of the racial disqualifications, confirmation of the right to naturalization of conscientious objectors on religious scruples, elimination of the formal declaration of intention as a prerequisite for citizenship and removal of the literacy requirement for older people. However, there are some undesirable substantive and procedural provisions in the Act of 1952 relating to nationality problems. 
it is in the national interest to encourage qualified aliens to become American citizens. Naturalization requirements or procedures which unreasonably restrict the full integration of qualified aliens into the American community are unwise. Obviously, provisions which unreasonably subject American citizens to loss of their citizenship or which discriminate among American citizens by failing to treat them all equally are not in our country's best interest. Second Class Citizenship Many witnesses before the Commission were critical of what they characterized as second class citizenship. The complaint concerned provisions of the Act of 1952 which give naturalized citizens an inferior status to native-born citizens. This situation arises in relation to the status of naturalized Americans and the rights of Native Americans who have acquired dual nationality at birth. Conduct Subsequent to Naturalization Since 1906, the naturalization laws have authorized revocation of naturalization after it has become final and fully effective. Denaturalization has no counterpart in the status of the native-born American. Naturalization is a judicial function. In passing upon an application for citizenship, the naturalization court must determine whether the applicant has met qualifications prescribed by Congress. If the applicant has deceived the court, it seems entirely appropriate that the benefits he has improperly obtained should be taken away. A safeguard against hasty or ill-advised action is the requirement that denaturalization can be accomplished only upon order of a naturalization court. Fraud or illegality in the naturalization proceeding directly affects the propriety of the naturalization itself and justifies its cancellation. However, what happens after the court has granted naturalization is another matter. The Act of 1952 has introduced new provisions which have gone beyond the protection of the naturalization process and have created the possibility of denaturalization on the basis of conduct occurring after naturalization. These innovations in the Act of 1952 were deplored in testimony during the Commission's hearings. They were characterized as devices which, if extended, would jeopardize the status of millions of naturalized citizens. It was pointed out that since native-born citizens were not subject to such penalties, the statute tended to make the naturalized American a second-class citizen. There are several examples of this type of provision in the statutes. An illustration is the statutory presumption of fraud, which authorizes denaturalization in the absence of countervailing evidence because of a naturalized citizen's residence in a foreign country. Such residence, subject to naturalization, is related back to the naturalization itself. This category of presumptive fraud applies to naturalized citizens who, within five years after naturalization, establish residence in a foreign country. 
In applying for citizenship, an applicant must swear that he intends to reside permanently in the United States. Since 1906, the naturalization statute has designated as presumptively fraudulent the naturalizations of persons who establish residence in a foreign state within five years after naturalization and has made their naturalizations subject to revocation in the absence of other evidence. Approximately 95% of revocations of naturalization have been on this ground. In 1951, out of an aggregate of 403 denaturalizations, 384 were for presumptive fraud in establishing residence abroad within five years after naturalization, and the remaining 19 were for actual fraud or illegality. The Act of 1952 introduces a new ground for denaturalization for presumptive fraud, specifying that if within five years after naturalization, a naturalized citizen joins or affiliates with a subversive organization, membership in which would have barred the grant of citizenship. His naturalization is subject to revocation as presumptively fraudulent. In such cases, it is presumed, in the absence of contrary evidence, that the naturalized person was not attached to the principles of the Constitution of the United States or well disposed to the good order and happiness of the United States. Another example of such a provision is the new one in the Act of 1952, which subjects to denaturalization an alien who is convicted of contempt of Congress for refusing, within 10 years after his naturalization, to testify before a congressional committee concerning his subversive activities. These three illustrations differ in one important respect. The former two are presumptions which relate to whether the original naturalization was obtained by fraud through concealment of material facts. Both relate to the naturalized person's intentions at the time of applying for naturalization and thus present formidable difficulties of proof. In the two presumptions mentioned in the statute, the conduct which follows after the naturalization appears to negate the declarations as to intention and belief made by the naturalized person when he sought citizenship. Although the loss of citizenship through presumption is undesirable, it seems reasonable to assume, until further proof is presented, that a naturalized person swore falsely in stating that he intended to reside permanently in the United States when he actually became a permanent resident of a foreign country soon after his naturalization. This presumption can be rebutted, and often is, by evidence submitted to consular officers or to a naturalization court indicating that the representations in the naturalization application were bona fide. So, too, it does not appear unreasonable to assume that a naturalized person sworn falsely in declaring that he was attached to the principles of the Constitution 
when he joined a subversive organization within a short period after his naturalization. Here, too, the opportunity is offered to the naturalized person to prove that he is not guilty of deception in connection with his naturalization. Although these two directives for loss of citizenship through presumptive fraud are aimed only at naturalized citizens, the Commission concludes that they relate to the propriety of the naturalization itself and represent a reasonable measure of control against fraudulent naturalizations. The provision relating to contempt of Congress is of another character. As undesirable as the conduct may be, it does not necessarily relate to the legality of the original naturalization. The punishment of proved subversives is necessary to our national security. But where there is no evidence of fraud in the original naturalization, the use of denaturalization as such a punishment is dangerous to our welfare as a nation because such legislation is a disturbing step in the direction of insecure citizenship status. The threat today to the citizenship of naturalized citizens who defy Congress may tomorrow menace the status of all naturalized Americans. The naturalized citizen who violates the law should be punished, but his punishment should be no different from that applicable to a native-born citizen. Denaturalization should not be used as an additional penalty for discrimination between native and naturalized citizens. The Commission recommends that a naturalized citizen should not be subject to denaturalization for conduct subsequent to his naturalization, unless such subsequent conduct proves that he obtained his citizenship by fraud or illegality. Residence in a Foreign Country In 1907, Congress provided that any naturalized citizen who resides for two years in the foreign state from which he came, or five years in any foreign state, shall be presumed to have lost American citizenship. The 1907 Act was designed to deal with the difficulty experienced by the State Department in affording protection to American citizens resident in foreign lands, particularly naturalized citizens who returned to their countries of origin. The presumption was used only to relieve the State Department of the obligation to extend diplomatic protection to those naturalized citizens who remained abroad for the prescribed period of time. Citizenship was not lost thereunder, however, since the courts construed the presumption of loss of nationality as one easy to overcome, for example, by returning to the United States, regardless of the length or cause of absence. In 1940, Congress abolished the presumption and provided for the absolute loss of citizenship by a naturalized citizen by reason of mere residence abroad, residing for two years in the country of birth or former nationality, if by such residence he acquires nationality of such state, 
residing for three years in the country of birth or former nationality, or residing five years in any foreign country. The Act of 1952 retains the three- and five-year residence periods for loss of nationality. These provisions for loss of nationality, limited to naturalized citizens, create a second-class citizenship status. Native-born citizens have an unrestricted right to travel and remain abroad as long as they please. A naturalized citizen may remain abroad no longer than five years. The loss of citizenship under this law is now automatic. It is no longer a mere presumption subject to rebuttal. It has been urged upon Congress that naturalized citizens who return to their countries of origin or former nationality are apt to renew old associations and ways of living and thus lose to a large degree, if not completely, their American ties. Furthermore, it is objected such naturalized citizens, although wholly divorced from American life by reason of resumption of former residence and ways, transmit their American citizenship to their foreign-born and reared children. This argument, however, does not apply to the provision for loss of nationality by naturalized citizens who go to a third country. In this respect, the situation posed by protracted foreign residents is the same for the native-born as it is for the naturalized citizen. Neither goes back to a former culture or way of life. The foreign-born children of both are equally removed from American customs, traditions, and ways of life. There is no reasonable distinction between native and foreign-born citizens under such circumstances. These provisions are detrimental for several reasons. By attaching strings to a naturalization order, they create a body of citizens unable to do except on penalty what other citizens may do. Secondly, they undo a judicial determination without the benefit and protection of court action. Naturalization is obtained through a formal judicial proceeding, determined by the entry of a formal judgment. All judgments should be clothed with that degree of finality necessary to the orderly process of judicial administration. Judgments in naturalization should similarly be vested with finality. If fraud in obtaining naturalization is suspected, a judicial proceeding to set aside the judgment is necessary. The loss of naturalized citizenship by reason of mere residence abroad should not result from legislative fiat. The Commission recommends that a naturalized citizen may lose citizenship by three years residence in a foreign country only if the country be the one of his birth or former nationality, and that in such case the foreign residents should create a presumption of the loss of citizenship which, unless rebutted in an appropriate judicial proceeding, may result in the entry of a judgment terminating his citizenship. Dual Nationality at Birth 
under the laws of some countries the nationality of parents is vested in the children no matter where they are born consequently if born in the united states of aliens who are citizens of such a country children would have citizenship in the united states and also in the country of their parents likewise if they were born in a country where their parents native or naturalized citizens of the united states maintained residence they would be citizens of the country of their birth and also of the united states such persons are known as dual nationals the act of 1952 incorporates a new provision the purpose of which is to cause the loss of nationality of a native-born citizen who at birth also acquired a foreign citizenship if he should reside for three years in the state of his foreign citizenship at any time after attaining the age of 22 years and seek or claim the benefits of such foreign nationality. The full force of this provision is lessened by exempting from its operation those dual nationals who are abroad for certain specified purposes and who prior to the expiration of the three-year period of residence take an oath of allegiance to the united states before an american diplomatic or consular officer witnesses at the commission's hearing criticized this provision stating that it improperly curtailed the rights of native-born americans and that such dual nationals should be subject to loss of their citizenship only for the same causes that apply to other native citizens the purpose of this statutory provision is to eliminate a status of dual nationality in which a person who resides in a foreign country and is not in fact identified with the united states uses his american citizenship only when it suits his purposes it is not in the national interest to permit retention of dual nationality by a person to whom american citizenship is only a matter of convenience and who has no real tie with the united states consequently there is merit in the principle which requires the dual national under certain circumstances to make an election between his nationalities However, the Commission believes the present statute should be revised in several respects. The statute does not distinguish between dual nationals who were born in the United States to American parents who live in this country virtually their entire lives and dual nationals who were born abroad to American citizens and have never been in the United States. Americans born here or abroad who have spent their formative years in the United States and who reside in this country when they reach the age of 21 should be deemed to have elected American citizenship and should not be treated differently than any other citizens. There should be no limitation on the purposes for which Native Americans can reside in a foreign country provided they have elected to retain their American citizenship. The statute should provide greater assurance against retention 
of two citizenships by dual nationals residing abroad by requiring them to renounce their foreign nationality when they take an oath of allegiance to the United States. Birth in Territories or Possessions All persons now born in Alaska, Hawaii, Puerto Rico, Virgin Islands, and Guam, subject to the jurisdiction of the United States, acquire United States citizenship at birth. However, the status of persons previously born in those possessions is not clear. Former statutes wove a patchwork pattern which left obscure and uncertain the status of many inhabitants of such territories, particularly Puerto Rico. The Act of 1952 did not clarify these obscurities. The Commission recommends that the citizenship status of persons born in the territories and possessions of the United States be clarified by explicit statutory provisions. The Commission recommends also that legislation be enacted to confer citizenship benefits upon the indigenous inhabitants of American Samoa, the last major possession of the United States to which the protections of American citizenship have not been extended. Statelessness It is commonly accepted that every person should have a nationality and that statelessness should be avoided. Yet our laws today contain many grounds for the loss of American citizenship which have no relationship to the acquisition of another nationality. One informed witness before the commission stated that, quote, we have more grounds for revoking citizenship through expatriation than any other country, end quote. Under our laws, a person may lose his American citizenship, although he has no wish to give it up, and although he does not at the same time acquire citizenship in another country. As a result, he becomes a stateless person. There is a valid and important difference between giving up one's nationality by voluntary expatriation and becoming stateless by virtue of legislative mandate. In the early days of the country, the United States was the international champion of every individual's right to expatriate himself. In 1868, Congress declared by statute that the right of expatriation is a natural and inherent right of all people. We were then welcoming and seeking immigrants from the old world and the refusal of European rulers to recognize American naturalization of its former subjects was a matter of concern to us. But although the United States recognized and espoused the inherent right of all persons to expatriate themselves, our own laws were silent as to what actions by our citizenry would result in voluntary expatriation or involuntary forfeiture of citizenship. The courts and administrative officers solved such issues as they arose. In 1907, Congress declared that any American citizen 
shall be deemed to have expatriated himself when he has been naturalized in a foreign state or has taken an oath of allegiance to any foreign state except for statutes providing for loss of the rights of citizenship in time of war by deserters or draft evaders the law remained unchanged until enactment of the nationality act of nineteen forty this greatly increased the kinds of actions and conduct on the part of american citizens which would affect their expatriation or loss of nationality the act of nineteen fifty two continued in the framework of the nationality act of nineteen forty with some modifications the nineteen fifty two act lists ten grounds upon which both a native-born or naturalized citizen may lose his nationality in addition to the provisions that deal especially with naturalized citizens and dual nationals experience under the nineteen forty act according to informed observers has shown that some of the grounds of expatriation have deprived american citizens of citizenship as a result of acts committed under circumstances which do not warrant such a loss perhaps the most serious objection to the inclusion of so many grounds for expatriation is that the law thus enlarges the class of stateless people some of the many examples which illustrate this characteristic of the law are as follows service in foreign armed forces prior to 1952 service in the armed forces of a foreign state without express authorization by the laws of the united states caused expatriation and loss of american citizenship only if the person had or acquired the nationality of such foreign state the act of 1952 makes mere service itself an act of expatriation without regard to whether it involved an oath of allegiance to such foreign state or any act or course of conduct inconsistent with the duties and obligations of american citizenship unless prior to entry into such armed forces such service has been officially authorized in writing by the secretary of state and defense service in foreign armies by american citizens can be motivated by many purposes entirely consistent with allegiance to the united states thus before entry of the united states into world war ii many americans volunteered for service in the armies of canada great britain and other nations later allied with the united states other young americans serving in foreign armies because of a spirit of adventure still others may serve as technicians no sound national purpose is served by imposing the loss of citizenship unless the service is accompanied by an oath of allegiance or is undertaken by one who has or acquires the citizenship of the foreign nation in whose army he serves 
the commission recommends that the law in this respect be restored to what it was prior to the act of 1952. Voting in foreign political election. The act of 1952 continues without change the provision of the Nationality Act of 1940 that voting in a political election of a foreign state is a ground for expatriation. Although exercise of the franchise in a foreign country ordinarily denotes allegiance to that country, experience with this provision has proved troublesome. Congress has found it necessary to pass legislation excusing such voting in certain elections in Italy. The fact is that voting in political elections is not always restricted by the laws of foreign countries to their own citizens. In the Italian elections a few years ago, for example, a campaign was waged from the United States to urge all qualified persons to vote. A similar situation occurred in occupied Japan and Germany. Furthermore, both the courts and administrative officials of the government have had difficulty in determining what is a political election. This cause for expatriation also creates or may create a group of stateless persons. In such cases where eligibility to vote in a foreign state, even in political elections, is dependent only upon the ownership of property in the foreign jurisdiction, the act of voting is not inconsistent with allegiance to the United States. The Commission recommends that citizenship be lost by virtue of voting in the political elections of a foreign state only where eligibility to participate in such elections is by the laws of such foreign state restricted to its own citizens and where the person who so voted had or acquired the nationality of such foreign state. End of section 28. Recording by Patrick McAfee, Merritt Island.